0: Well, good morning, Claudia. It's good to um, finally get you on here. I know we've been trying to plan this the last couple of weeks with um, work schedules, obviously, with COVID going on, but it's uh, glad to finally have you on here.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I know you stay really busy as well. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, one of those things where, obviously, when kind of the whole COVID thing hit, you're kind of, uh, what are you going to do for like the first two weeks? And so once you slowly kind of figure out what you're, um, plan of attacks would be moving forward, you kind of have to adapt. And um, mm-hmm. in the security industry obviously is one of those things where you have to always have to adapt. But um, as you know, prior to law enforcement, you you just kind of have to keep doing what you do best and um, be kind of like a beacon for other people.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, it was really the same for us, to be honest. Um, we took a really aggressive approach when COVID hit at our organization and really increased our outreach. Um, we knew that domestic violence was going to increase with everybody at home. Um, so so we kind of did the same thing, decided what we were going to do and just powered forward as that beacon. Right. So
0: before I kind of dive into that, can you kind of give me kind of a background of how you kind of what led you to Summit Advocates? And kind of is there any like what was the catalyst to kind of, man, I, I really to be part of this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I have kind of a a unique background. Um, I was a police officer in North Carolina for about five years. um, And then I was a police officer here in Colorado for uh, about a year and a half. Um, So I had that background. uh, And then on the flip side, I worked in marketing. Um, So I did a lot of branding, marketing, events, things like that. Um, I personally had some experience with this particular organization a couple years ago um, as a client. So I I really, my heart um, was tied to Summit Advocates. And just about a year ago, the development director position came open. um, And that particular position is all about marketing, branding, um, but then also advocacy. And I felt like with my law enforcement And my marketing background, like it was really meant to be. It was kind of the perfect fit um, for me. So uh, I jumped in and, you know, again, was really tied to the organization personally based on experience and felt like this was a place that that I really could make a difference um, for other people. And that was really important to me.
0: How difficult is it to kind of market something where it's for a cause or an issue that a lot of people don't want to talk about if they are affected by it. So how do you, what are some of the difficult parts of, kind of doing that?
1: Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question because I constantly say, you know, we can't pull the fuzzy puppy out of a bag and, and show it to everybody. Um, we don't have something fun to discuss. And honestly, that's the first problem, John, is that there is such a stigma Around domestic violence um, and sexual assault, people don't want to talk about it. Um, so, really, one of the things that we're doing is trying to normalize that conversation um, to have people, you know, be willing to admit, like, I was affected by this, and you know, I'm okay now. Or, you know, some of the people who are really powerful in the community, they've been affected by it. So, we're trying to let people know, first off, that it is okay to talk about it. Um, But we're just really trying to get out in the community more um, because I do think the more that we say domestic violence, the more people will realize it's okay to discuss and it's okay to ask for help. One
0: of the kind of interesting things, kind of researching your organization and domestic violence itself is that you're kind of, you always see like the police reports or the stories like, oh, he hit her or God forbid she hit him, Mm -hmm. but you never hear of the, the traumatic stuff where it comes like the screaming, the yell, like the, the mental aspect of it. Yeah, That's something too. If you could kind of talk about how that actually is a major Absolutely. component of violence.
1: Yeah, um, for sure. And just to your note, you know, when you talk about seeing those police reports, um, about 14, 15% of our cases originate from law enforcement. So what that means is 85% of them do not. Um, so a lot of those are either people who, for whatever reason, don't wanna be involved in law enforcement, um, or it's more of the emotional aspect. And that is probably a higher rate of violence that we see is the emotional abuse. So the yelling, the screaming, um, the isolation, a lot of abusers use financial control. So maybe they won't allow the victim to even have a job or they say what job they can have. They control the money. Um, The issues with that really is it makes the victim feel like they can't leave because they've never controlled money. They've never had a debit card. They've never had to pay rent. They don't know how to do any of that. And it's things to you and I that, Seems silly, you know. Like, what do you mean they don't know how to pay a bill? But for right. some people, like that's the reality: is they've been controlled in a way that other people can't necessarily see. You can't see that bruise, um, but it's it's just as horrific because they feel like they can't even make it on their own.
0: Right. It's the mental aspect of it. It's just so. It's a kind of. It kind of makes you realize that how like an organization like yourself is so vital um, for all aspects of that. Now, as a cop, you're probably dumped to a lot of stuff, a lot of calls you could arrive to on a scene. So not using you as an example, but if if I'm a member of law enforcement and I come to a scene, I might be so dumped to arriving to a domestic violence dispute that if I'm involved in that, if I have that same type of stuff going on in my household, I might not see it as an issue. Now, that must be a
1: problem, right? Um, it is. And and I will go ahead and use myself as an example. Um, just like we talked about, you know, this isn't something to be ashamed of or embarrassed about. It's something to be proud um, that I went through and survived. So just like you said, you know, when I was a police officer, I, I went to a lot of domestic violence calls, um, especially in Greensboro, which was a pretty big department in one of the largest towns in North Carolina. Um, and I would get mad. Mad, John. I mean, I would get really frustrated at these um, victims, um, and I'll probably say women, primarily victims are women um, in domestic violence, and that's who I saw mostly. Um, but I would get so annoyed and frustrated and thinking to myself, well, gosh, why don't they leave? What are they doing? Like, they're worth so much more than this. Why don't they see it? Um, and then I would go back again and again. Um, and And through that time, I, myself, was in an emotionally abusive relationship with another police officer and, and didn't see it. So I think you know that's a great example of just what you said is that you really become numb to it, but it also illustrates how so many people without the law enforcement training, like if I couldn't see it in myself, how do I expect them to see it in themselves? Um, So that's one great thing though about what I do now is I'm able to really connect with a lot of the local law enforcement that we work with and educate them on the cycle of abuse and, and why you know a lot of victims don't see it and why they go back to that house again and again and again um, and just have to be patient. Um, we do a lot of work and talk about our work being survivor defined. Um, I can't say what outcome is best for you. Um, and, and that's hard to do because sometimes you go into that house and you think, well, I know if they just leave, everything's going to be better. You know, their life is going to be so great, but I'm not living in their shoes. So I can't define what a successful outcome for them is.
0: Part of the, the problem I have is as a male, if I see another guy hitting a girl, and obviously if you're being a, a male too, like I have that paternal instinct to help the, the victim. Mm-hmm. But for me, I would have such an rage. Like I'm always afraid that if I'm in a, a concert and I see some guy get a drunk guy get abusive with his kid or his girlfriend or whatever. I don't know how I can control my rage, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right me to beat up some other guy. That's not going to stop the issue. And so how do I kind of put that anger to be more productive?
1: Um I have the same anger, so I totally understand it. You know, I I, and I get really upset um, more so when I see a male um, attacking or trying to intimidate a female versus male versus male or female versus male Um, for whatever reason. It's all it's all not okay, um, but I get it. Uh, So, you know, first and foremost, if you see that, I mean, breaking it up would be okay not getting violent. um, But it's really important to let victims know that you're there for them when they are ready. So, you know, we never want to ask why questions because they come across as judgmental. um, But we want to say, you know what, when I see what's happening, I want you to know I'm here for you. And when you're ready for help, You can reach out to me. So for a situation like you're in where you're at a concert, so you may never see this person again, you know, maybe have a national number that you could give to somebody and say, like, call this number when you're ready. Or just have that fight broken up, separate the parties um, so that they're at least safe in that moment. It's
0: actually a very fascinating uh, idea where if you have like a business card, if you're on the road working. Trap you literally in front of hundreds of thousands of people every year. If you see I something know. like that, just give me a card out. Mm-hmm. Like hey, like if you need help, these people can. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because, yeah, you could spend your time Googling the local advocacy agency in every town you went to, but that would take a lot. Yeah, but there's national organizations as well, or even, you know, if people call us, because people, we get confused sometimes with Summit County, Ohio, uh, and then there's another Summit County somewhere. Um, We refer those people to the right places. So we will actually do that legwork and say, oh, well, you're actually, you know, you're in Florida. Somehow you got our number. Let me find that number for you in Florida so that they can help you.
0: If someone were just, like, I would, for me, if I was a, in a relationship like that, you know, someone else, I didn't know that split second saw me being abused. That I think there'd be some sort of power to that, that, Hey, someone that I doesn't even know who I am recognizes that there's an issue. I think there is value in that.
1: I think there is too, you know, because victims often feel less than, um, and they don't feel their own worth. So the fact that somebody else saw it and decided to come to their aid in any way, um, I think is empowering to them and, you know, would give them a little bit of that hope and that feeling of, wow, like that stranger saw that I am worth paying attention to. Um, And that's a huge moment um, for somebody that hasn't felt that.
0: One of our followers asked a really good question. Hopefully you can answer it. One of, they kind of work with, they they were kind of wondering how, if you see someone obviously clearly looks like with a with a victim or there are signs, now mm-hmm. if you can explain some of those signs, mm-hmm. but if there are signs of domestic violence, what is your next step as someone on the outside that might know them, but how do you kind of get them to help you need without kind of ruining your trust? Because they might be mad at you, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, we always that term don't shoot the messenger. Um, You know, sometimes it's easy to blame the outsider um, because of your embarrassment, your shame, whatever. So I'm going to start with the first part of that question as far as some of the signs that you mentioned. Um, Obviously, the physical bruises. You know, if you see somebody that has bruises or as a female, particularly, maybe wears a lot of extra makeup because they're trying to cover up bruises on their face. Um, Some abusers are really good at hiding bruises. So maybe it's just somebody who is sore a lot or, you know, doesn't want to be touched. Maybe they get very timid if you reach out to hug them or I guess we're not supposed to hug during COVID. But, um, you know, if you reach out to touch them and they, They back away or shy away. Um, Some of the emotional cues that you might see somebody who's very timid. Um, someone who doesn't like to make decisions, um, who always has to ask their partner, you know, oh, well, let me see if, you know, he says it's OK. Um, they quit their job suddenly um, because maybe it's a job that their partner doesn't approve of. Um, they never have money. They're not in control of their money um, is a great sign. And, and that's one I know you do a lot of work with um, human trafficking. That's another great sign you see with uh, people being trafficked is they're never in control of their money. Money or their identification documents, um, because that's power. So, some of those are some uh, kind of the main signs somebody who's depressed, anxious, doesn't sleep well, um, maybe has a hair trigger, um, you know, on them where they get upset all of a sudden, Um, they apologize a lot. That's something I still, I think I'm better at it now, but I apologize a lot for things that aren't even necessarily a need to be apologized for. But it's just that behavior that I got used to in that relationship is always trying to keep the peace and apologize. Um, so those are some of the signs. And then, you know, if you recognize those signs in somebody um, that you know, particularly, again, you don't, um, don't want to ever ask why. Why are you still with him? Why are you still with her? Why don't you just leave? Why don't you see what's going on? Because those are all very judging questions and we wanna try to avoid um, judging the individual because that's not gonna make them wanna come back to us for help. Um, Really expressing that you're there for them in whatever way that they need. So that's super important to say, You know, is I'm not here to judge your situation or to tell you what to do. I'm here to support you when you are ready. Um, I think that's really the key. Uh, the other thing that you can do is help somebody safety plan. So, you know, maybe encourage them like, hey, why don't you just pack a bag? Um, why don't you just have a plan? Like, where can you go if something right. does get really bad? Um, a safety plan is something we do pretty quickly with people. Um, so that's always helpful. And make sure, you know, that they have the number of a local organization. Um, but never just throw that at them. Just say like, "Hey, would it be okay if I got some information and just had it ready for you in case you want to look at it?" Um, always let it be their decision.
0: One of the things I'm kind of curious about: if I'm a male, I obviously when there are instances of domestic violence, people don't report it regardless. Doesn't matter what sex you are. Mm-hmm. But as a male, is there a masculinity issue when it comes to, "Hey, if I'm the victim of." Uh, violence from my partner, uh, if she's a female, or the screaming, or even the physical, is there a, I do. I would think that a male psyche would be like, I can't tell somebody being abused by my wife or girlfriend. Now, how do you comprehend that, or how do you help males with that issue?
1: Um, and, and that is a, a huge issue. I, I would say probably two to three percent of our cases are males, um, and I'm sure some of that is just due to underreporting. Right. Um, And again, it just goes to that stigma. You know, you can't control it. it, It's not um, that you're not masculine because somebody else is an abuser. Um, That's not on you, that's not your fault. So really, it again just goes back to trying to normalize the conversation and let people know it doesn't mean you're less of a man. It doesn't mean you're less of a human being. It just means that you're with somebody that has a problem, you don't have a problem. So um, we are working right now to try to get some male champions of our cause um, for that very reason to say like, look, this is okay. It happens to everybody. Um, It doesn't mean you're less than uh, of a person or of a man. It just means you're with somebody that has an issue.
0: Right. When, I know we kind of touched about it briefly, but with COVID, the numbers have gone up so drastically, mm-hmm. whether it is domestic, alcoholism, suicide rates. And so I guess I kind of – I'm curious why – I'll, kind of, I'll kind of step back a little bit here. The first spirit talk I did was with uh, Christy Martin, mm-hmm. who I was familiar with before with boxing, arguably the grass women's boxing. But ESPN, like June, ran an article talking about her – dealing of a domestic violence. Uh, her husband at the time tried killing her, shot her, mm-hmm. stabbed her, pistol whipped her. She survived. And it kind of put it in context. You're kind of like, here's a champion that everyone knows. She went through his harrowing thing. But the way that ESPN mm-hmm. put it out in June, it got me thinking, man, this with everyone trapped at home, these must be happening every day, every second, mm-hmm. and half the time no one's talking about them. And So it's very... Like, obviously, I get why the onset of COVID, hey, everyone stay home, get away, whatever. But did they look at it that is there any way to kind of do it a, a different way?
1: It would be nice um, because, you know, the the common um, phrase everybody used for COVID was safer at home. Or let, let's be safer at home. Um, and the realization is that this timing is not safer at home for everyone because it did just uh, serve to, to escalate what maybe was already a bad situation. Um, we know that overall, worldwide, in places that have been affected by COVID, um, there's been about a 30% increase in domestic violence cases. And that's what's been reported. So again, we know that we can uh, assume that those numbers of actual cases are much higher. Um, we here in Summit County, so our county is about 33,000 people. It's, we're not a, a really big place. Um, of those 33,000 people, we've already seen... Uh, over 400, I think 411 new clients this year wow. um, in the first three quarters. So that's like one in 80 of our residents. Um, so if you look at 80 people walking around, we have helped one of them or we have served one of them for domestic violence, which is insane. Um, so yeah, COVID has been a huge factor and that's where we you know, jumped on that beacon um, way and just started Putting our name out there everywhere so that people knew who we were. We did a lot of outreach that maybe um, you know served the purpose simply of saying, "Hey, these guys are out here, and this is what they do, and they're here for you." Um, you know, I don't know the answer of what would have been a better way with COVID. Um, I just know that. The economic stressors, people losing their jobs, people having more financial difficulties, people who are already isolated then became more isolated. It really is like the perfect storm for that huge increase in domestic violence.
0: And God forbid this happens again, or those situations where you get stuck at home. It's great to see you guys wear that beacon. They can actually have a plan in place if this happens again, to where your know. your um, your local. People you guys service will have you guys are going to be there for
1: them. Yeah, I appreciate that, and we we initiated a couple new campaigns as well um, with pharmacies and doctors because those are some of the few places that people. Have continued to go. Um, so we started like a Mass 19 campaign where people could go in and use a code word. So we actually went to pharmacies and doctors in the area and gave them a whole training on domestic violence signs uh, and also the code word. So that now this gave another avenue for these victims to report. If you know if their only trip was to the pharmacy, then they were able to ask for help at the pharmacy, and that will continue. As as well.
0: Is there a patient? Say I'm a doctor in your town and you clearly see someone that didn't fall down the stairs, they've been abused, you know them your whole life as their doctor. Uh-huh. Do they have a duty to tell, reach out to you guys or is there that, that patient client privilege where they they can't step out of line?
1: Yeah, there is that privilege. So they can offer information to the client. Um, And we actually had, uh, I think, four cases. So after we went and educated the local doctors and pharmacies, we actually had four reports where um, the pharmacists or doctors were able to recognize domestic violence in their patients where they would not have been able to before because they didn't have that education and were able to get them connected with us. but normally, yeah, they can't, they don't have that duty to report um, unless it's a child. If it's a firsthand knowledge of child abuse, we pretty much all have that duty to report. Um, otherwise, they're confidential, just like we're confidential. So if you come to see me today, um, we can neither confirm nor deny that with anyone else unless you say that we can.
0: Right. And that must, And I get why that's in place, because it does obviously protect the patient, um, but it must be kind of frustrating, too, where when you can't, so I wish there was time you could actually break it and not have that kind of like that. I,
1: I know. I, I agree um, because it is frustrating and you know somebody desperately needs your help um, and all you can do is provide them with the information and wait until they're ready.
0: One of the incredible things you guys are doing there in Summit County is the fact you you everyone is worked together. The community leaders, law enforcement doctors, farm it's just very fascinating that you guys are all on the same page to make a difference. So I get has there ever been anyone else of these other states or organizations like, hey, can we adopt a summit advocate in our city, our town, and make this kind of like a global thing?
1: Um, We have had some people adopt um, that MASS 19 campaign, Um, so yeah, we had uh, other organizations in Colorado um, as well as uh, Illinois and then Florida um, saw what we were doing with MASS 19 and did adopt that. So um, that was pretty cool for us, you know, to have us in little old Summit County, Colorado, um, have all these different organizations taking that on. You know, in some counties and states, organizations like us don't exist. There are law enforcement based advocates, um, which is great as a start. But the problem is, like I told you earlier, only 14% of our cases come from law enforcement. So so when you only have that type of advocacy organization available, they're missing so many of the victims um, because they don't want to go into the system per se. Um, But yeah, we're really trying to push um, all of our outreach initiatives out um, nationwide at least so that people can um, mimic what we're doing and hopefully share the same success that that we have had.
0: Are you able to talk about the safe house structure at all? Now, I don't need specifics for obvious reasons, but I do find it very, I guess cool is the word for it, that you guys are able to provide this type of housing Mm -hmm. where these these victims can just get away from the craziness
1: we kind of healed. Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, ours is structured um, just like a house. Um, And we did have to modify it a little bit with COVID for the non-congregate housing. So normally um, some of our rooms have multiple um, beds and can house more than one family unit. Um, Right now we actually only have one family unit per bedroom and we... remodeled the house to add a bedroom actually during COVID so that right. we could house yet another person. Um, but yeah, it, it's cool. Um, we will initially generally put somebody in a safe hotel. Um, then we will do an intake to see if they're a good fit for the house. Um, and then while they're in the house, we will set um, goals with them. And we have a housing coordinator that will work with them on whether it's finding a job, um, Finding housing, you know, in our community, housing is really tough. Um, and it's one of the issues that, that leads to a lot of that financial dependence. Um, our housing cost is extremely high and extremely tough to come by. The, the rental properties are few and far between. Um, But we will help them, you know, locate proper housing, make sure they can afford it. Um, Because what good is it to put somebody in a place that two months later they're going to get evicted from because they could never afford it in the first place? Um, And then we will work with them on kind of their long term goals to move them, you know, from the house into their next step. Um, of their own safe housing. Uh, and we've gotten some cool grants as well to, to help us do that um, from some local organizations uh, in the state. So that's been pretty nice. But the safe house is, um, it's very much like a home. Um, and we try to, to keep that homey atmosphere um, while people are there we also offer them wellness groups therapy groups um, job training kind of all that stuff it, it's not like a you get to come stay in the house and you know just hang out and then right. move on in, in a couple of weeks um, we really we really take a whole wraparound approach with people to get them to where they need to be
0: It's just that's just awesome it's cool that you could kind of uh, you could do that for these people. Now, if, if there are children involved, is there, that must be a second layer of kind of advocacy where now the state must get involved if there are children?
1: Only if there's direct abuse to okay. the children. So, okay. Okay. um Again, so we we have that confidentiality and only if we see firsthand direct abuse. Um, but you're right about that whole other layer. Um, you know, I think the stats are like one in 15 kids are exposed to uh, domestic violence with 90% of those being a direct eyewitness to actual violence. Um, and so you you have to understand like how that's going to affect a child growing up. So now that's why we see that abuse perpetuated generation after generation. And we've actually had cases where we helped a mom and the daughter and then the daughter as a new victim. Um, because that's what kids learn they learn that okay violence is how we solve problems or it's okay that dad does this to mom Um, but we take kids in the safe house just like anybody else we take the whole family unit um, and we actually even now take pets because um, i don't know about you i love my dogs and i would have trouble leaving them Um, i wouldn't leave them but that's actually a big issue for a lot of people is they will not leave their pets. Um, so we actually now allow pets in our shelter as well um, because we realize how huge that is for a lot of people and that's a barrier to them leaving um, quite often.
0: Do you ever come across victims of the violence that are kind of, not, I don't know if addicted is the right word, but they, they seem to want to live in that atmosphere they can admit that they want the help and stuff, but they actually keep going back to the same type of people. Now, how do you break that cycle?
1: That's hard and And I would classify, and I'm not a psychologist. Right. um I would classify it more as like a codependent personality. Right. So they just they need that other person. Um Unfortunately, you know, you do see those patterns over and over again, and it's because, um, you know, maybe they grew up with abuse or maybe they just very young became in an abusive relationship. Um, the issue is they think it's normal. So it, it's not necessarily that they, you know, crave abuse or, you know, want that kind of life, but they just think it's normal and they think they're not worth Anymore. Um, so breaking that cycle is difficult, but if somebody wants to do it, um, I would say, you know, therapy is huge to help break that cycle and then learning how to become self sufficient. So we do help with all of those things. Um, and that's why for us, um, having a piece of that be therapy is so important. Um, and also to have the therapy support groups, because then you can see other people in similar situations and kind of bond with those people and help each other and kind of hold each other accountable in moving forward.
0: Another question that came up from one of our followers is like, if you're an alcoholic, you go to AA, you get a sponsor. Are there uh-huh. sponsor type people, if you're a victim of domestic, that's also can relate to you, kind of help you kind of
1: That's a great question. Um, So there's not sponsors per se. Um, That's a great idea, though. I kind of like that. Um, But I would say the wellness and support groups are kind of what become your accountability partners. So um, not necessarily a sponsor, but that partner um, in, you know, keeping you accountable or helping you along the way. And you can help each other because, like you said, you're in that same situation or you you kind of understand the situation of each other. Um, And we've seen that a lot with our people that meet each other in our different groups and then become really close and do end up, you know, whether becoming roommates or um, working at the same place and they do find um, themselves supporting each other. I would say um, the other thing, though, is uh, you don't get into this work um, just because you think it's cool. Um, Like we talked about earlier, you know, I have a personal story and pretty much everybody at my organization has a personal story. So I guess you could consider us the sponsors. Um, We're those people that have been through it and now want to help the next person get through it as well.
0: Well, it's, it's, you, you said it great earlier where if I'm a female cop, I see Claudia and I'm going through something like you kind of did, I'm automatically going to be like, man, I can follow her. I can kind of learn from her. I can, mm-hmm. she can help me. Or if I'm if a male in some construction site and I know this guy was abused, like right. that relation you could kind of build. I think for me uh, would be very therapeutic in the sense mm-hmm. of I'm not the only one. That's a tough thing to break.
1: It is. Um, it really is. And yeah, knowing that, you know, none of us have walked the exact same path. But when we can say that we've walked a similar path and, you know, maybe I have come through it and I'm in a better place. It is a little bit easier to look at that person and say, like, well, OK, I see what she did. You know, I can get there. I can do this, too, because it is hard. It It's hard um, to leave a situation, even though it may be. A crummy situation, um, but one that you're used to. Um, change is hard for everybody. And I know you being in former law enforcement, uh, change is hard on law enforcement. Like we hated change, um, but it's hard for anybody. So when you see somebody else that has been through it and can kind of guide you or offer some advice, I think it does make it a little bit easier.
0: Right. Yesterday, I know you were busy with a uh, golf tournament, so let's kind of talk about some of the activities you guys are doing to kind of help with your marketing, kind of get the name out there.
1: Yeah. Um, it's been tough with COVID. So we did a lot of virtual events kind of early on. Um, we did a, a painting class via Zoom, which was really cool. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, we really enjoyed that. But um, we've done some virtual um yoga and workout classes, because we know healthy mind, healthy body, healthy body, healthy mind. Um, but yeah, we had our first uh, inaugural golf tournament yesterday. Um, we partnered up with Raven uh, in Silverthorn, which is a really cool course. I don't know if you were able to see any, any of the pictures. I, I saw
0: the deer you posted.
1: It was beautiful <laughs> out there. Um, so it's right now, the Aspens are changing. So there's a lot of leaf peeping going on. And this was the perfect day to do it. Um, but yeah, we had about 10 teams of golfers out um, at Raven um, just supporting our organization, getting one of the last rounds of golf in for the season, because um, it's going to start snowing here pretty soon, um, which it. is exciting. Um, but yeah, so we're we're really trying to find new ways to connect with the community. Um, so we're actually doing um a belly dancing performance. We are not. We are having actual <laughs> trained performers, let me clarify, because nobody wants to see that. Um, but we're going to do that virtual this year in November. So we've really swapped up a lot of our, our normal um, events and fundraisers to virtual uh, opportunities, which has been challenging, but um, unique and kind of cool. But like you said,
0: you're still, you're, you're being a beacon right now to that, but you're not going to let COVID or anything Mm-mm. slow you guys down to help these victims. That's, that's badass.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, we're trying to do whatever we can. Um, we actually went and put posters for our organization in every gas station bathroom in the County. Um, just for people traveling through, um, we put donation boxes in our local grocery stores and it wasn't about the donations. Like I don't care if we got one box of cornflakes. Um, it was about having our name and our phone number where people could see us because we're also a huge tourist community. Um, so we get a lot of people traveling from all over the world. So anywhere that we can get our name and our phone number and what we do out for the people in the community and traveling to and through the community has been really important for us right now.
0: And what is this kind of social media campaign you guys are looking to launch? And it's something that I definitely Silver Spirit is going to do it. So awesome! I'd be curious to kind of hear yeah. Uh, what the plan is for that.
1: So we're super excited about this, John. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, so we're going to start a campaign in October. And the reason that we're using October is it is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So um, we're starting a campaign called hashtag I'm Brave Enough. And the purpose of it is to really honor the bravery that it takes for people to ask for help uh, and or to leave a domestic violence relationship. Um, so we want it to be really inspiring and empowering to everyone. And, you know, for people who aren't in that type of a relationship, we want it to be a way for them to share what they're brave enough to do, because bravery can mean so many different things to so many different people, um, you know, with people who suffer with um, depression or anxiety. Sometimes it's just being brave enough to get out of bed that morning and start right. your day. And that's huge, you know, for that individual. So... What we're looking to do is to, to get some high profile individuals, both in our community um, and, you know, across the nation to participate in this. And we want to call them out. Um, we want to challenge them to be brave enough to do something, um, whether it's a polar plunge, which one of uh, our team members is going to take on uh, in a couple weeks, or whether it's brave enough to hike a 14er, um, which is a big thing here in Colorado to get up to those 14th thousand foot elevations Um, whatever you're brave enough to do we want to call you guys out and uh, have you post about it and then have you challenge the next person to be brave enough to do that so really it's going to embrace bravery and really support and honor those domestic violence survivors um to reach out for help
0: no i love that and again whatever you need from us um
1: we're going to call you out, John. We're yeah, uh, you out.
0: Trying, I won't belly dance, but uh, I, I'll think of something. No, <laughs> Are I you won't... not
1: brave enough to belly dance? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I um, I can't thank you enough for this, Claudia. And it's, um, it's unfortunate. It's something we have to talk about, but I'm glad there's people like you on the front lines um, leading the charge when it comes to awareness and being an advocate for victims of domestic violence. And uh, Just keep up the great work.
1: Thank you so much, John. And I appreciate you guys taking on this topic. Um, it, 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 We're going to get there. We're going to make it where it's not a stigma and, and it's okay to discuss. And you doing this is a huge step in that. So I really, I appreciate you. No, that's uh,
0: whatever we can do again. and uh, I look forward to uh, working more with you throughout
1: this whole thing. Absolutely. And we're going to find out what you're brave enough to do.
0: Uh, good luck. <laughs> awesome. Thank you.
1: Thanks.